Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you on your creative journey. We help you find your way. Don't you want that? I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Yo, today on the show, we have a, a an incredible episode full of so much creative wisdom with a guest named Peter Hastings. Maybe you don't know Peter, but I know that you know his work. This is a six-time Emmy and Peabody Award winner. Peter is a writer, producer, actor, director on things such as I don't know, Pinky in the Brain, uh, Animaniacs, How to Train Your Dragon, Kung Fu Panda, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Captain Underpants, the the new series. Um, this guy has a ton of experience. Is a true creative mastermind. And one of the weirdest cosmic coincidences in my life happened when two 
creative friends of mine from completely different worlds both told me, you've got to talk to Peter. Uh, you got to get to know this dude and you would learn a lot from him. So I don't know. I trusted it and I'm really glad I did because uh, we, we had a long chat and then he sent me a bunch of his creative philosophy and I was like, man, I got to get you on the podcast to just talk about some of this. We barely scratched the surface of the, the ideas that Peter and I talked about and and uh, and he sent me over. But this is super fantastic. I think you're going to get a ton from it. And I can't wait to introduce you to Peter Hastings. Here he is. I'm going to give you an intro before we jump into this. Um, but I'll tell you this, that, you know, two friends from completely different worlds in the same day, not unknowingly to each other, recommended that I talk to you. And I thought either this Peter guy is a mastermind puppeteer or the universe really wants us to, to sit down and talk. And then uh, we talked, you sent me all these all a bunch of your ideas on creativity. And I was like, okay, it's definitely the universe wants us to talk because I going through that document was so inspiring. And I have a billion questions to ask you about all your ideas and theories on creativity. So I'm, I'm so glad that we were going to make this happen. And also from two people who, uh, you know, I, I respect and am close to. So that was great. Yeah, it's a, it was unusual. It made my day, those little weird synchronicities. I'm a sucker for them. So how do you see yourself as a creative person? Um, well, I think the main thing about it is that, um, you know, I didn't necessarily move into it. I didn't, I would just kind of have always had that pull to be creative and have done it in a variety of ways. So it's about wonder, it's about self-expression, it's about having fun, um, you know, and discovering, I mean, in a very broad sense. So that's sort of like why I, you know, started playing guitar. It's why I did plays in school. It's why I did theater work. It's why I, you know, did all of these other things. Um, it just tends to be motivated by the same thing, which is just, just this kind of, that looks fun. That looks cool. How do you do that? Um, that sort of motivation. And so because of that, you know, I've been able to do a lot of different stuff and, you know, obviously I've made TV shows, but I do a lot of photography. I do a lot of, uh, I've done tons of music and studied music. I've done theater and, um, you know, to me, they're all just sort of motivated by the same thing. And, um, I can't help it basically. And I, you know, one of the things that I, see a lot in creativity and, and with creative people. And then even in myself, this whole, this whole thing of figuring out how not to spread yourself too thin versus exploring your curiosities. And, you know, you, you're a director, writer, musician, and you've done all these things at, um, in an amazing way. How do you reconcile that? How would you speak to that if, if some creative feels like they're struggling with, you know, wearing one hat or, or wearing too many hats? Or how do you think about that? Well, I don't really reconcile it. I just kind of roll with it, I think, is what it, what happens. You right. know, it's more like this big, broad wave of stuff that kind of takes a step forward. Even when I'm in at home 
and this is kind of a, you know, ADHD behavior, although I deny it, which is basically yeah. walking around the house <laughs> and picking up a guitar, playing a guitar for 15 minutes and then going like, oh, I want to go find my capo. And I walk into the office and there's some photos up and I just start editing photos. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then, yeah. I mean, it's like non, you know, nonstop, uh, just that kind of thing. I bounce around like that. But at the same time, all of those things are making some progress in some fashion. So mm -hmm. I just don't really, I don't really worry about that getting too spread out uh, myself. But certainly, you know, a personal style and a focus uh, is uh, a good thing out in the world. And I, you know, you've told me that you've done all these things, worked on movies and TV and all, all of these things. And often people introduce you as the guy who has shows in his living room. What, first of all, could you tell people about that? But then also how would, how do you introduce yourself if you're just meeting people at a party for the first time? What, you know, out of all of those hats, what, have, what do you see yourself as? You know, it took me a really long time. Um, I'm 60 years old. It took me a really long time to, to refer to myself as an artist. And, uh, you know, I wasn't doing a specific, uh, you know, visual art. Let's say if I was a painter and then I would just say I'm an artist, but kind of an artist as a, um, you know, as a being, as like, that's the way I move through the world as, as an artist. And, um, so I, I probably kind of go with that. And then if the conversation continues, we'll start breaking it down a little bit. Um, the, um, yeah, the music thing is that uh, I have this big room for music in my house and I started to have these gatherings with people that I knew and then they kind of turn into concerts and then we have these house concerts where there might be 75 or 100 people here in the house. It became these kind of amazing events. And um, yeah, among all the other stuff, it's like that's how people sort of started to introduce me as the guy who does these house concerts, which was sort of ironic after everything else. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's true. At the same time, it is, uh, you know, those particular things are so near and dear to my heart, doing those shows and having people come and, and all that sort of stuff. I'm actually very happy with that. Mm. The thing that I've done the most of and probably have the most, you know, the most sort of success at is making cartoons. And usually I don't really even mention that maybe later along the line. I don't know. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, – are there any parallels between what you love about putting on these house shows to what you love about working with a team on a cartoon? Uh, yeah, there are parallels with all with everything, with all that stuff. That's actually yeah. been one of the really cool things about, about kind of learning different crafts and stuff like that is how they feed each other and inform each other and that the principles, the obvious principles of one are turn out to be more subtle principles of something else. Mm, and they end up becoming a, a unique insight when you apply it to a different thing, but it works the same way or yeah. 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 Totally it's really, it's actually really fun when you're thinking about a particular, like if I'm thinking about some photography thing about, uh, you know, some lighting thing, and then I'll be thinking about something completely different. It could be music or storytelling or something like that. And I'll go like, oh, it's kind of like the way you backlight. I'm, I can't think of an example right now, but it's mm -hmm. it, it's so fun and satisfying when that happens. And then ultimately you just go like, oh, the fundamental principles of all this stuff is the same. I love that. I think about, I, I'm inspired by the idea that, uh, you know, there's a lot of like new theoretical science around. Uh, and actually, it goes all the way back to philosophy that like back in ancient 
philosophy and, and Socratic philosophy, they were always trying to figure out what is the most basic principle, the fundamental building block of life. And this was before we even knew about atoms or subatomic particles or whatever. But they always assumed there's got to be one thing that is pulsing through. And now there's a lot of people talking about this is getting totally off topic and weird, but panpsychism and how what if consciousness is the is the fundamental building block? And it reminds me of like all of these creative outshoots are fundamentally about the same thing. They all come back to like the human experience and they're coming from our consciousness. And, you know, the deeper you dive into one particular medium, the more you're like, oh, this is exactly like how you do anything. It reminds me of a famed uh, design legend said, uh, if you can design one thing, you can design anything. And I feel like there's just something there of once you dive deep into one of these things, it just goes across mediums. Yeah. And in, and you know what? And you can you can get at it intellectually, but fundamentally, there's some really simple things like basically people only respond to stuff that they feel. It's just mm. like so simple. It's just like, what kind of feel are you generating? And that is what people will respond to. And if they don't feel anything, they don't respond to it. You know, if you drive down the yes. street and there are a bunch of buildings and there's just one building and you go like, oh, that building's, that's cool. And it's, it's because it made you feel something. It made you laugh or it made you amazed or it made you sad. It was torn down or whatever it is that, that, that thing, that building, that piece of art, that legal argument you made, whatever it is, it's that it generates feeling in somebody. And that's the only thing people respond to. They just, everything else just flies by them. 100%. I actually think about how, you know, a lot of art is, people think of a lot of art or music or whatever as really cerebral and, and about thinking or a new thought or whatever. And I've realized that I gravitate towards, you know, we use a lot of analogies on this podcast and metaphors and stuff when I do talks. And I've realized that although it's almost like, um, it's almost like playing in emotions with a Trojan horse of ideas of like the, f I'm more, I, yeah, I'm interested in someone having a mindset shift or learning something or whatever, but I'm more interested in how it feels when you have an aha moment, the emotional, it's a euphoric kind of thing when I, when something clicks like that. And so again, it goes back to, even if it seems cerebral, the things that people stick with and come back to and mean something to them are the creative output outputs that make people feel something. Yeah. I mean, it's super simple. And I think it also, yeah. It, and it's on both sides. It's on the receiving side as an audience person, you know, and as a creator as well. You know, and a lot of creative people kind of realize, you know, I'm sure you've talked about this quite a bit, but the, you know, the idea of like trying to please people and sort of what a dead end that is. Yeah. And you may succeed uh, sometime, but, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. And then, you know, when you go see a band and it's like the lead singer just has this vibe, like they don't even care if you're there, but they're so into it and they're so presenting yeah. their yeah. raw self, you know, it's yeah. completely captivating. And it's like, I don't even care if you like this. This is what I'm doing. And it's like, yeah. guess what? Now we all really care. Yes. If you, if you are actually pleasing your own sensitivity – if you're really, you know, lighting it up, you're, it's funny to you or it's sad to you or it hits you in that intuitive, you know, ineffable kind of way. If you're figuring out how to get there, people are going to form a crowd and watch you do that because it's, it, it transfers, you know, and, and, and we're, we all have similar receptors too. Um, 
So I want to jump into some of these uh, creative theories that you sent over. I The only thing that I'm bummed about is that we're, there's no way we're going to get through them all because there were so many things that I was like, this is amazing. Um, the, the first one uh, that I want to talk about, which I know is a huge one for you, is um, simplicity and creativity. You you know, I know it's huge in your creative work. Can you tell me a little bit about what your obsession and fascination is with simplicity and relationship uh, to creative stuff. Well, you know, this was it was kind of inspired by this quote from Charles Mingus, a jazz bass player and composer. And he said, creativity is more than just being different. Anybody can play weird because he's talking about music. That's easy. Yeah. What's hard is to be simple as Bach. But this sentence here, making the simple complicated is commonplace. Making the complicated simple, that's creativity. So that single phrase, making the complicated simple, that's creativity. And most, again, these, what are the things that we respond to as humans, you know, and which is, you know, which is crazy sometimes how common that experience is. And we respond to a lot of simple things, but the idea is that those simple things actually represent something um, complicated. And all of the, it's funny, I wrote this, this little song, I'm just reminded because I'm, I'm, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you're familiar with tangents, Andy, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Everybody listening just rolled their eyes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I wrote this song because like, all the all the good and simple things in life uh, can kill you like like a rope or a knife or fire or water <laughs> or, uh, you know, all the best simple things that can actually kill you, you know, a bar. That's soap. so good. Oh, my gosh. I love that. That is such a good uh, bait and switch whiplash thing. Uh, that's that's a that's a good trick. Is that that's in a new song you said? Yeah, it was a, a song I wrote. It's just a, and then yeah. What about love? It can lift you and take you where the magic flowers grow. What about love? It's hard to beat it, but it'll rip out your heart and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's that's gold. Uh, so, but anyway, back that. on this. So the idea of of being simple, and a lot of times it's it also comes from this very simple thing, which is like, how do I say exactly what I mean as simply as possible? And it's really hard, you know. It, it goes into that same quote, which I think is, uh, you know, to paraphrase, I think it's Mark Twain, which is, "Sorry, this letter is so long, but I didn't have time to write a short one." Yeah. And um, so very often when I'm kind of in a creative jam, it's really about finding the simple thing, but the simple thing that represents something complicated. And that's so, so that opens another door, which is, it's not just about being simple. It's about being the right piece of simple. And the best way to get there is to go into the complicated, is to accept the complicated, accept that it's going to be kludgy and complicated and don't keep stopping and editing yourself because it's getting too complicated. And then a lot of times you try to solve a problem and you do it by adding, you know, and adding to it and putting more band-aids and trying to connect this or that, you know, kind of thing, Um, which generally does not get you where you need to go. Again, it's about like, okay, what is the essence of this and how do I make it simple? But you need to wade into the complicated and accept that as part of the process all the all the time and do that so somebody go like oh what if we do this and we can add this and do this and add that and blah 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 and it's like those that's not the solution but it is and can be the process you know of doing yeah so that's that kind of another thing i think that i sent you is that 
you know, my little expression about that is if you want to find the needle in the haystack, sometimes you have to build the haystack. Yes. I was going to ask you about that. T- tell us about that. It's just kind of what I've just been saying, which is just about accepting the process, accepting the discovery that occurs during the process, not stopping yourself, uh, you know, editing yourself because you haven't come to the solution before you start, you know, yes. um, and jumping in. And letting it be complicated, but knowing that your goal is to be simple, but doing the complicated part, doing all the sketches, doing all of the rewrites, doing all of that sort of stuff, making your thing too long, you know, um, is part of that uh, discovery process where a lot of people get frustrated inside that zone, you know, but you, yeah. you kind of got to, you know, push through that. I think that the premise of that, uh, is so insightful because the the thing that is so confusing is that we all have an intuitive sense that the destination, you know, when you make a song or, you, you know, make a piece of art or you write a story or whatever, we know that the destination needs to feel simple in its kind of like, uh, you know, like it just exists. Like it's so, it makes so much sense. It's if the parts fit so perfect, yeah, inevitable. That is the exact word I was looking for. So we know we're looking for simple as the destination and the really, uh, surprising thing or the, the thing that, you know, the reason we don't get it is we don't realize that, that, that destination, the journey to get there is the exact opposite. It's, you ha- you can't you can't get to the destination by being simple you have to go into you have to wade into the compl- complex and the complicated which is uh, what you said is the trick and it just all of that resonated so deeply with me because uh you know when i was starting out and trying to find some first fruits of my creative voice and what i had to say you know i knew all of my heroes could say like their thesis or their theme or their heart or their purpose or whatever it was in such poetic ways and such a simple way. And, you know, they'd be able to articulate it through their, their art in that, with that clarity. And all I had was a huge pile of mess of like, here's all the collection of the things that I love. And I, I'm sure there's no reason for that, but going into that complexity and finding patterns and boiling down, there was a simple, uh, you know, my project Invisible Things came from that of like collecting this huge mess of influences, inspirations, life experiences, all the stuff that was complicated mess. And I made a ton of work. You know, I made a daily character every weekday for a year of this other project, uh, trying to figure it out. Um, it, but all the while wading into that complexity, because I'd never learned this, thinking, this is the opposite of what I'm trying to do. Everything's getting more complicated and it's and it's a mess. Um, and so I just, that has been so true to me. I think that this, you know, bu- building the haystack of, you know, can you describe what, when you're working on a project, what that looks like? Maybe you're working on a show or you're working with a team of writers or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, actually it just kind of came up the other day. Um, so there's a an unannounced show that I'm working on at uh, DreamWorks right now, an animated series. For Netflix. And it's, um, uh, you know, we had a note about we want to include this emotional story for this character. And so we do, somebody does a rewrite and it comes back and it's like adding pages and they're these long 
dialogue things and you're like, well, I really want to include this and we need to mention that and all that kind of thing. And then there were some other notes about it. And then I just, it just, re I just rang out in my head and I go like, this is one of those classic moments where we have to keep going and making it fatter and making mistakes yeah. to help us focus on the part that really, the part that really, uh, matters, you know, but it'll become clear. It's part of the discovery process. You know, I'm huge into this idea of like, don't think you have it figured out or don't try even just know, again, it's like, know what you want it to feel like, and then just start going for it and let the pile, you know, come up. So I just did this with a script. And then it's sort of like after going through it and and doing it wrong is a huge, huge part of it. It's like, uh, yeah. and then going like, oh, this is the part that's sticking. This is the part that is becoming clearer to me as I'm in the process. So, I mean, we're doing that in a, in a script right now and just going like, how can you say what we want to say in two lines instead of 30 lines? You know, that what you just said is like blowing my mind. <laughs> this, this said that doing it wrong is part of the process and that means that everything I've ever written has been like that. I've heard, you've probably heard this idea of like, you can't write and edit the edit at the same time. So when you're writing that, you know, shitty first draft, you're supposed to be writing it, knowing it's wrong, like write it wrong. And that knowing that this is the, this is the way there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, mistakes is a whole chapter because it, it's it's so valuable and it's so good. And I mean, I tell people all the time when if they say like, oh, well, you have so much experience. And I go like most of that experience is mistakes. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like the reason the reason I know that it needs to be, uh, you know, this way is not because I'm a genius. It's because I already tried it six other ways that were wrong, you know, and yeah. it's like, um so I I think of mistakes as like rungs on a ladder, you know, and it's like, okay, I did that wrong. Great. Now I can climb a little higher, you know, and it's, it's, um, we always get so frustrated by mistakes and by doing them wrong, you know, and it's no secret that people always say they learn more from mistakes from successes, you know, and, yeah. but it's even to the point of even inviting them, you know, it's like embracing your mistakes, being glad. It's like, I'm glad I did that wrong. I'm, and I'm also glad I didn't do it wrong on a giant public platform um yeah you know which by the way is such a great thing about like being in art school is you can suck and you're under the radar you know it's like uh the gift of anonymity that idea yeah yes. but but the the mistake thing mistake thing is really huge but again and it's it's you know and i talk to uh you know i deal with so if i'm making an animated tv show i'm dealing with writers with artists with actors, with sound designers, with composers and all that sort of stuff. And I always talk about like embracing this discovery process. And it's a, you know, you got to let go of ego when you're doing this because everybody, particularly in a group thing or something like that, people want to be right and they want to have the answer, you know, so it's a little hard to just like, uh, expose yourself as someone who is making a mistake, you know, yeah. but I'm totally, you know, I really try to push that discovery process because I've experienced this as a writer and as a musician and as a photographer, the serendipitous that happens when you're working, you know, the, 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 just the, the connections you make, the, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's, um, you know, it's that, that, uh, you know, Picasso quote, uh, inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. But, um, 
So it's really just about that embracing the process, you know, as well too. It reminds me also of uh, what you have, you told me about the research and development of going into there and and not knowing what you're looking for other than a feeling. Yeah, that was. I can't remember the book. I think maybe it was Organizing Genius was the name of the book. But I had this team and I started reading all these books about like, uh, you know, R&D and teamwork and all this kind of stuff. And the, um, that book has a lot to talks about like Skunk Works, which was this aviation secret lab kind of in Burbank and, you know, um, people discovering stuff. But anyway, the quote was, uh, if you know what you're looking for, it's not real R&D. Yes. You know. And I just, I just like that idea. It's part of that same process. It's like, why do it? If you already know what you're, if you're building a body of research to show what you already know, you're, it's, you're playing a game rather than actually going into it, looking to be surprised. You know, when I tell people to gather influences and try to find, you know, even if you're like on Pinterest, trying to create mood boards of this is kind of what I'm trying to do. If you're going through that process, and you're not finding anything that you didn't expect to see, it's a complete waste of time. And sort of adjunct to that, the other thing that I really like to do, so I work with, you know, I work with the teams a lot. So it's just kind of like all that whole group of people I'm talking about. And um, one of the things that I always really like to do with the whole group, and of course this works for any individual, is not to know how you're going to get there, not to know what it's going to be, but to to have an idea of what you want it to feel like. What is the feeling that you want to put out there? Yes. Do you want to put out a feeling of joy? Do you want to put out a feeling of melancholy? Do you want to, to be nostalgic? Do you want it to be scary? Do you want it to be suspenseful? It's like, what is the feel that you're looking for? And and a lot of time that, you know, to find these really simple touchstones, these point of reference as you're going along, um, you know, where you can sort of, not to be judgy, but to be where you can sort of judge an idea. But as it relates to your feeling goal, it's like, what do yes. I want this thing to feel like? And um, that's just like a huge thing. So what I like to do with the team is to convey a sensibility and a tone and a feeling rather than here are the specifics of how many frames these things should be, how cutty it should be, how anything, anything like that. It's more like this is the feeling that we're after and the sensibility. And then in a team situation, when people know that, they can make more decisions on their own and they don't have to come and ask you, should this be bright orange or should it be like a desaturated blue, you know, because they have yeah. this thing to refer to. And then what's great in the team thing is then everybody just kind of gets to own their work a little more, you know, and they're going to make decisions on their own, uh, you know, and and just enjoy it and feel better about it. You know, uh, it's just like also if they understand the tone and the sensibility, you get much more of a broader, um, uh, you know, the, the work itself gets its own life, you know, from all of these different sources rather than just being like, this is my vision and I'm asking you to execute exactly what I want. Yes. Which I am doing, except in a feeling kind of way. It reminds me of, it's, it's kind of my idea of why I feel like comedians, stand-ups in particular, can be such, can, we have so many masters of the craft is because they already, that, they have a pre-understanding of 
the feeling I'm going for is they think it's funny. They and they have an audible measurement of like, yeah. And and I think they go into that with it. And unlike something like public radio, I just interviewed one of my heroes from uh, the podcasting public radio world, and she was telling me that when she's editing or she's like searching for a story to tell that it's all about listening to her body like what does this does this story produce that feeling that I'm looking for the types of stories that I like to tell and when I edit you know when I move that thing over here and I've switched that around do I feel more of it in my body or do I feel less of it and that is your instrument yeah that's great I I, I totally got that I mean I think the, the feel is just, uh, I mean, I think, and in editing, that's really, really true. So I've done tons of picture editing and, um, that's, it's so true. And then sometimes, and it comes down to sometimes just frames, you know, it's like, just put four frames on that, which is nothing. It's one sixth of a second, you know, yeah. but it feels different, you know, and you find that that goes into a whole yeah. other thing too, which is how sort of music relates to all the stuff that I do. But um, Let, just, just let's go. Let's, let's go the wrong way. I have, I, I want to, I have another one of your uh, theories I want to follow that up with, but let's go the wrong way for a minute. Cause that's the right way. Well, um, you know, I, I started playing guitar was on in fifth when I was in fifth grade and I wanted to be, you know, sort of singer songwriter dude. And I ended up doing, um, different things, but I did, uh, go to college for music. I went to the Berklee College of Music in Boston, uh, where I was playing bass and I majored in jazz composition and arranging. But basically I went through a music curriculum. Um, and that has been so incredibly valuable to everything else that I've done. And, mm. and because the principles of rhythm and harmony and melody apply to, to basically everything. You know, about mm. how putting two things together, like two notes together, creates a sound that is unique to those two notes together. And uh, uh, it's the same, it, which is even scientifically is very similar to putting two colors together. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of parallels between sound and color and, um, and rhythm and principles of improvisation that I learned in music school, like tension and release and all of these kind of things. And all of that stuff is like super valuable to me in in expressing uh myself in in kind of any uh medium and again is this just a reminder about like oh the fundamentals are actually the same yes it's that that's what i was gonna say it feels that the 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 relationship between notes and color it feels like that oneness and i often just fantasize that these people that have synesthesia whether they're just knowing the truth of like yeah you could smell colors if you had the you know if we didn't have to break everything down in this function you know functional way of engaging with reality you would know like these are somehow all the same thing that's my weird thinking but um but yeah that i i love that idea and it's and it sounds like the mechanics of learning music can apply to the mechanics of storytelling and and the and vice versa yeah there's and then there's you know there's all kinds of structure and all that sort of stuff but really you're trying to make something that doesn't sound like it has structure it doesn't feel like it has structure you mm. know ultimately mm. And again, it just goes back to generating a feeling and learning all these mechanics that do it. But the mechanical things are super, very helpful in for me in like dealing with pictures and dealing with, uh, you know, moving pictures and with still pictures and uh, all this kind of stuff. Composition is a word that applies across the board, you know, and, and, and the principles of like um, – 
you know, visual art composition, um, they apply, you know, in weird ways to music and everything else. Another one of your ideas that was I found really intriguing was the three stages of craft. And it seems like the finding kind of the mechanics is akin to the second stage, which is where a lot of people get stuck. Can you just explain the three stages of craft? So this idea is that they're, so they're learning any, any craft is like there are three stages. The first stage is I don't know what I'm doing. The second one is I know what I'm doing. And the third one is I don't know what I'm doing, and which is really the goal. So the yeah. the first one is, let's say I want to be a singer or I want to be an artist. I want to be a painter. I want to be whatever. And you suck because you, you've never done it. And so you start doing it, but your motivations are completely emotional. You want mm-hmm. to, because you want to express yourself or you think it's cool or whatever. Maybe even it's like, because you want to make a lot of money, but there's something driving you that is emotional to do this thing. And so you pursue it and then maybe you go to school. So you take lessons or you go to school or you're watching a gazillion YouTube videos or whatever it is to educate yourself about it. And you start to learn the mechanics of this thing. It's like, oh, I'm painting. I'm going to start with the background. Now I get it. And or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Or here's how to make a D chord on a guitar. Or um, here's how to use my aperture setting on my camera. So the, you start to get into these uh, the technical side of it. And that's part two, which is I know what I'm doing, right? And so that's an intellectual thing. That's where it shifts Mm. from being emotional to intellectual. And if you want to do something like really difficult, I mean, like you want to be an incredible oil painter or you want to be an improvised jazz, which is a very complicated uh, intellectual thing to to learn how to do. it takes a lot of thought and it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of thinking and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people get stuck in this stage, which is they know how to run the machine. They know how to, you know, you've, you've mentioned this sort of like, you know, people who can wail on the guitar and have nothing to say. It's yeah. like, um, or as I call them, typists. And it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you become also, as I would call a college jazz player, which is like, yeah, you're making those sounds. You're operating at a level that I call professionally average, right? Mm. You're as good as, you know, and people get stuck there. But the trick is once you've, once you've absorbed some of the physical skills, you can start forgetting about them and you get to stage three, which is I don't know what I'm doing. And that is the freedom place where you're like, I'm back to feeling again. And back to expressing my feelings and my thoughts and that kind of stuff. But now I have this kind of muscle where I'm, I'm, I'm better at doing it and I can do it. So it kind of marries the, you know, the 10,000 hours with the feels, um, yeah. you know, at that point. And I heard a great thing um, actually from music school, which is from uh, Gary Burton, who's a jazz uh, vibes player. But he was talking about uh, learning your craft And then he said, ideally, he goes, think of it like driving a car. You've been driving a car for a little while. You don't think about driving the car. You don't think about putting on the seatbelt and turning the key and pushing, pressing the brake and all that stuff. You think about where you're going. And that's because you're, you know, you've absorbed the physical aspects of the craft, you know. And the same thing when you, you know, with an instrument or a, a pencil or whatever it is that you've, 
absorbs the craft. And now I'm just thinking about where I'm going. I'm not thinking, I'm not letting the, the pencil, I'm, the pencil is not the boss of me anymore. You know, the guitar is not the boss of me. It's a vehicle. You know? Why do you think uh, people get stuck in that second stage? Um, I think the main reason is that it takes a lot of work and dedication, really, you know, because I mean, the, um, you know, I've heard you kind of talk about the 10,000 hours in, in, as, as such a commonplace thing, but it's also yeah. a legitimate thing in, you know, developing, developing a craft. And it takes a lot of work takes a super amount of work. You know, it's so interesting when you see these guys who are like abstract painters and then you see their early work and they're doing unbelievable, like realist Realism, kind of painting, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, yes. Picasso, Picasso <laughs> is like that. This thing, it's like, oh my God, these guys had this incredible craft and skill, you know? And now that's like, there's an orange blob with a blue line through it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and it's because they're, you know, there's an intellectual side in terms of whatever the, the, the movement is in, in the zeitgeist of art but also just that they're just they're going simple it's like i just want to generate this feeling you know yeah i'm doing this thing i wonder if part of it is because i i feel like you're totally right you see people across the board in all areas of creativity get stuck in that you know i think a lot of yeah sure there's a lot of people that get stuck on the first one where they don't want to put in the ten thousand hours but people that have put in the ten thousand hours or put in a bunch of hours they i feel like maybe they get stuck there because, you know, having to intellectualize it, first of all, you really have to go all in and believe that these are the the rules and these matter and you better learn it. And, and so there's that side of it of like, you've set up your camp on the intellectual side. And then the other side I wonder too is in the world of subjectivity, there's a, uh, it's a warm blanket to be, to be, you know, when a client says, Hey, can you make the logo bigger? It's really, it's really comforting to be like, well, here's the rule of thirds and here's how it fits in there. And that's why you see all these, you know, big corporate logos with the golden circle overlaid on them. It's so that they can be like, look, it's technically right. And a lot of people I think just stay there because yeah, it's a warm blanket to be like, mm, yeah, I'm doing it the right way. I'm doing it exactly like everybody said I was supposed to do it. Yeah, definitely, um, you know, kind of comfort in that. But but the here's the other thing is that, um, and I've experienced this many times with people, um, is that I meet someone who can run the machine. You know, technically they can do everything that they need to do to accomplish this thing. And then yeah. once you've reached that point, everything after that, is just personality. You know, it is like, it is like who you are, it's what you like. And it's, you know, it's that sensibility and taste kind of thing. And it's like, that's, yeah, that's where things rise up. And I think, you know, when you, when you master the craft, it's about kind of forgetting about it and then just being yourself. But guess what? Now you can run really fast. Now you can lift weights. You can lift, you know, you can lift a heavy weight, you know, but it's, it's that same thing about like, stop thinking about driving the car and thinking about, um, thinking about where you're going. Also, you know, you're kind of touching on the, that subject of notes and like when somebody gives you a note, um, mm -hmm. and what, which I've dealt with a lot and a lot of times, yeah. you know, I mean, every creative person knows what it's like when you send something off to, to somebody and you wait, you know, and you're yeah. like, Oh my yeah. God, they hate it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> They're all in a conference room going, who else can we get? You know, it's just like, it's yeah. the worst, which by the way, 
whenever somebody sends me something, I don't do this all the time, but I try to, which is like reply immediately, like can't yeah. wait to look at it. So they're not yeah. just hanging there at home, like hitting their head on a wall. But, um, and, and we know what it's like to get a note that just pisses you off, you know? And yeah. it's like, you get so angry and you're mad at them and you're personally insulted and your ego is hurt and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've sort of over time just totally gotten over that. And I have to say that if you are open about addressing a note, um, you don't necessarily have to do exactly what someone says, but in the process of trying to solve their note, you will make it better. It's just mm. hap- it's so rare that things actually get worse unless somebody's really insistent on something shitty. But um, it's just like you have to dis- separate your ego and remember too that people that you work for, there's nothing they want more than for you to solve their problem. They're really mm-hmm. on your side, even if they're antagonistic people, you know. And, but they want you to solve their problem. And I I just, so often I just like have to separate the ego and go like, okay, how can I solve this problem in a way that I'm okay with? And, uh, it gets better. You know, you, you originally, you were hoping for no notes. You get a note you don't like, (laughs) you attempt to solve it and you made it better. You know, it's happened so many times. Yeah. I, uh, that's really interesting. And I, and I think when I've been open to notes, I, you know, I'm, I'm working on a picture book right now and we're going through the set, the part of the process where there's a lot of notes and, you know, I've, I have, I went, I've come a long way, you know, back in the day that I was way more in the camp of like, ah, oh, you're ruining it. Or I'm, you know, or so you're offending me, you're hurting me. Yeah. Or I'm so embarrassed or whatever it is, just the most, the worst process. But, you know, now I'm working through them and I think I, I, I look at their note, I look at what they're asking and, you know, I would say 50% of the time, at least they're right. And that you're like, yeah, I missed that. It, the project will be better. And then the times when they're, when I don't agree, I often, it's a really, it's an opportunity for learning because I'll see what I maybe did intuitively that worked and I'll be like, oh, this is why that worked. That's why that's good. And now I have a, an intellectual way of explaining to somebody, this is why I did that. This is, and, and the more, the less ignorance you have, I think, uh, around some of those choices, the more it becomes second nature or something. I don't know if that makes sense, um, generally, but that, that has been true for me. It's helped me kind of codify some of my intuition, even for my own point of reference. And, and it kind of starts to develop into somewhat of a style or a sensibility. Yeah. And then sometimes they're just idiots and they're wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't say it, but I will say this. You're right about that. I know. Um, <laughs> or there's just somebody that's like, yeah. they don't even know. They, they just, they have this compulsion. They have to say something, even if uh, they like the it. That's the worst. The worst is they have to justify their job. Right. That's, that's what I can't take is that, you know, the person, the, you know, the executive in this place that had to take a look at it in order to feel like they got, they did their money's worth. They have to add notes. And, uh, ah, that's the worst. Anyway, that icky yeah. corporate world. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, okay. So I have one other question. I have a bunch of other stuff that I could talk to you about, but I feel like, um, you know, uh, that'll be building the, as Twyla Tharp talks about this, building the bridge into the next time I, there, there we're, we'll end on a place where there's an infinite more things to talk about. So you can come back one day. Um, but one thing, you know, you've had all this experience, you've worked with a bunch of people and I, 
One question that kind of came to mind as you're talking through this, and you're in an interesting place because a lot of creative people don't get as much of an opportunity to lead people and be so collaborative. And I wonder if, you know, when, when you see a creative starting out, what are your hopes for them in terms of what do you hope that they experience in their career? What do, they, what do you hope that they realize um, in terms of like what creativity, what a creative life can give you, what can, you know, in terms of fulfillment or just whatever, what are you, what are you hoping that they get? Um, well, I, I mean, the things that, I, you know, cause I, I do kind of come across a lot of people, let's say, you know, young writers, for example, or people like that and, and ask them what it is that they really want to do. And one thing I do is encourage them to stay in the, <laughs> Not the I hate to say the lane because it sounds so restrictive, but to mm. stay focused on what it is that they really want to do because it's really easy to develop some creative skill, get offered a job doing something that's maybe not really in your heart, but like you need a job and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then before you know it, now you're like advanced in that field and it isn't really what you wanted to do. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not the worst compromise, but it's that kind of thing where you, you know, you climb a ladder and you realize it's leaning against the wrong wall, you know, yeah. when you get to the top <laughs> of the ladder. Right. So mm -hmm. I encourage people to really try to, you know, stay focused on what it is and know that as you get good at something else, people will ask you to do it again. So, at, you know, try to make it something mm. that you want to be doing. I had this, yes. I worked in this summer stock theater uh, when I was 15 years old and somebody comes and says, Peter, the bathroom in the men, the, the, the toilet in the men's bathroom is all messed up. Can you, can you go fix it? And I was like, Oh, and so I go and it's gross. And I fix the, I fix the toilet. And then, uh, like a week later it happens again. Right. But they don't, nobody <laughs> says, Oh, he had to do it last time. Let's make somebody else do it. No, it's like, hey, he did it right. Let's ask him to yeah. do it again. It's like, hey. You know, nobody had put the bathroom. The bathroom never looked better than when Peter was in there. And then, but the, <laughs> but the point being was this, it was this backwards lesson. And if you do something right, somebody will probably ask you to do it again. So, and yes. the, so the thing is even just being careful about what those things are and recognizing, you know, that you don't find yourself going down the wrong creative path because you really wanted to be doing something else. Obviously, there are, uh, you know, life logistics that will interfere with that, particularly for um, for a creative person. Um, the, um, you know, the real the real uh, the real joys. I, I just get pure joy out of making stuff, you know, so that's it's it's very simple in that way. It's just like it's a source of joy, you know, and and those are the things that I look for and that you should recognize in um, in what you do. And a lot of times yeah. when you go and you learn and you're doing that stuff, not everything is a source of joy, but it does become a point of reference and it be, that becomes something that is, you know, kind of worth learning. But I think it's that kind of eyes on the prize thing is really, uh, is really important. Also knowing that, um, you know, people uh, like parents will come to me because they know that I went to Berkeley College of Music and they'll say like, oh, my kid wants to go to Berkeley. What do you think? And I'll, and I tell them, I say like, well, first of all, my personal experience was great. I loved it. I learned a ton of stuff. Um, it was just a great life experience. Uh, but being a musician is a very, is very difficult and it's really hard to make a decent living as a musician in the, in the world. Obviously there are exceptions of people who make a ton. That's a very small amount of people. And, and I said, but you get to be a musician and it's like, yeah. 
does that count? Does that matter for you? You know, it's like, it, does that make you smile? Does that light you up? Or, or you're like, Hmm, that's not really what I was after, you know, then skip it. Yeah. It's like, cause it's just, it's too, it's too tough, you know? And it's the same thing with any art form because, you know, as, as we're seeing during this pandemic, it turns out, it's like, Oh, it turns out a lot of art is sort of expendable. You know, it's kind of like, it's not yeah. essential, you know? Of course, right. what I would say to that is the essential things keep you alive so you can actually have, you know, gives you, so the arts can give you something <laughs> to live for, basically. Yes. One, yeah, 100%. I, and I think you, even the simple thing of I want to be making things, the joy of making things, if you're not careful with having your eye on the prize, often a lot of people get so good at making stuff that they get turned into a manager of people making stuff, you know, and, right. and then they're not doing what they actually want to be doing. Right. But they, you know, but a lot of times it's sort of like, you can also go, I don't really have the, you know, I don't have the chops to do that particular thing. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, and I think, um, you know, one of the things I put on that sheet that I sent you was uh, how to learn anything. <laughs> yeah. How to do yes. anything, which is get someone to show you how in practice. And, yeah. and that works yeah. for pretty much anything, you know, and, yes. uh, but it doesn't mean you're going to be great, to be honest, yeah. you know, it's just, <laughs> but you yeah. can be better, you know, and you can enjoy it personally. That's the other thing too, is, you know, there's so many people too, who sort of, you know, they're, they're 50 and they start painting at home for fun, you know, because, uh, that's also totally, um, you know, valuable kind of thing, um, for your own personal satisfaction. Some yeah. people like myself, you know, you're, you're, I'm sort of driven to present to an audience, you know, I'm like a person who are, you know, it's like, give me the mic, I'll talk, you know, yeah. just kind of one of those people. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I have no problem being on stage sort of thing. Um, and that it, it goes out into being able to make things that a lot of people get to see and enjoy and make part of their lives. I remember doing like when I was doing um, uh, Pinky and the Brain and and I was I was like rural Pennsylvania somewhere and driving and then on the highway. And then all of a sudden you just kind of come on this town and you just drive through the town and it takes like two, three minutes and you've passed the entire town and looking out there and going like there are people in that town who have seen my stuff. Yeah, and it was kind of cool. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt about that. That's for sure. It's just kind of that sort of satisfying too. And, yeah, and that, also that I take that responsibility kind of seriously, even more and more now. And that doesn't mean being serious. It means actually probably being funnier and sillier. I wondered if that, that, that's kind of my last question is, uh, do you have a, a favorite feeling that is kind of, uh, your favorite to produce in people with your work? Um, well, I mean, kind of the more obvious and perhaps superficial is, is just like, um, being intelligently silly, um, and, and laughing and, you know, which includes satire and stuff like that. Um, which was very much, I mean, in, in, you know, I mentioned Pinky and the Brain and that, in that show is very much kind of, that's very much my personal sensibility, but I have sort of two sides cause I have this sort of jolly improv comedy guy thing. And mm. then, but with my like photography and a lot of the music, it's much more of a, I think bittersweet is probably the best thing, which is like life is miserable, but it's beautiful kind of thing. Mm. And, um, I 
just love to go inside, you know, and that's, it's, it's like a very much of an internal kind of thing versus, you know, the external thing. I couldn't, by the way, mm. I listened to your podcast about the um, six types. I couldn't quite type myself. I was having really? a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. did you, I think that everybody seems to have a few that feel right. Did it, Did you have that or were you just across the board? Yeah, no, no, not across the board. Definitely not across the board, but, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, the bard aspect, um, and uh, which I know you identify with. Yes. And yeah. um, the sort of storyteller. Um, there's a few. There's a few. But I have those two very strong things. One is very much like a heartfelt thing, like I'm crying in the movie theater and I don't want you to see me. And mm. then the other thing is just being, you know, silly and 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 laughing but do you you know when i deal ahead. with this stuff you know I'm making a lot of tv for kids and um i think there's uh i mean i kind of take it seriously in the sense that there is uh most people could tell you like what cartoons they watched when they were you know seven or nine or something like yeah. that and it's like a time of time of your life and and the same way like you can remember what what your music was when you were 13 or 14 when you were kind of just accepting what was coming at you before you got mm. too you know too much too discriminatory about what you were listening to and um you know there's a way to go in for me it's about not necessarily being directly educational but being sort of subverse subversively educational by presenting a sensibility and presenting mm. a, a kind of humor and a and a sensibility and tone like for me it was hugely influenced by watching monty python and like my brothers and yeah. i could like recite all the monty python you know because there was a time when that was like an active tv um you know show and it had a big influence on like my sense of humor and not only that you're just your whole outlook on on you know a worldview so i'm kind of into sharing my worldview subversively with <laughs> children <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing i mean it is uh completely and utterly true the thing the in the same way that you know what you listen to 10 to 20 really the musically kind of impacts you. You're totally right. One, you know, zero to 10, the, the cartoons and stuff you're watching that just so cements so much of your perspective. What do you think? Is there one tidbit or one, you know, value or one idea that you, that you hope to put into these productions more than others? Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, simple, you know, actually, when I was doing the Captain Underpants series, it was very much like to me was about uh, the underneath was about principles of creativity. And that mm. is about simple things like um, like use accepting and using your limitations, you know, thinking outside the box, uh, questioning the status quo, finding alternate ways of doing things um, that, you know, those are like principles of creative thought, which, by the way, are applicable to basically anything in life, like finding a parking spot, like like giving a legal argument, like uh, how to fix a plumbing issue, you know, and um, you know, problem solving, and and as well as, of course, producing any kind of you know more overt art art form, but yeah. um, um. You know, that's kind of what I wanted to do um, with that. And I guess it's about, you know, 
that sort of questioning the status quo is a, is a, is a really big one. Um, yeah. And all those other very simple principles. I think that makes sense. There's that, I feel like that thread is actually pretty obvious from all the properties that you've worked on. And I, uh, and it's, you know, I think you're exactly right with the, you know, when I started this show, it was really about helping creatives build a thriving career. And then along the way, we've, we've actually added a lot of listeners that just want to approach their career creatively. You know, they, they just want to take a subversive or creative approach to how do you um, thrive as a person. Yeah. I mean, I think in a way it's even more valuable. I think, I mean, if you are, if you're a, a, let's say a visual artist, it's like, you're already in there in something that is obviously creative, you know, Mm -hmm. and really probably more valuable to people who are not pursuing something creative to just kind of open up a little bit and to think about something. I, you know, which just reminds me, I have this very weird analogy of sort of creative thoughts sometimes when I'm brainstorming something. And mm. it's, do uh, you, you know that there's a video game called Joust, like an arcade? I've heard of it. Okay, so like an really old arcade game. And it's just totally weird. And they're like these platforms and you're riding on an ostrich, I think, or, or something. <laughs> and you push the button to flap your wings and go up and you try to land on these different platforms. And you're trying to stab these evil birds or something. But the vision of these platforms and about flying around and flapping to these different platforms in a 3D space or something became this idea like when I would get stuck and it would just like take the linear thing that I'm thinking and just blow it up and explode it and just forget it and enter this space which is not linear and start flapping around and landing mm. on these platforms, just any vague idea, you know, and going around and doing that. And, yeah. and, but the main thing is just sort of like let go of the, your linear thought and let your, and daydream, you know, and, and, um, as part of the creative process. And, and then that's applicable to anything, anything. Yes. It's like, how are we going to get this pipe under the house over there? You know, and just kind yeah. of like, well, there's a wall right there. And just like letting go of your linear expectations and, um, you know, be a creative thinker. Yes. And that, yeah. And so many people get stuck in that linear climbing the corporate ladder kind of approach to career when you can side jump into things and flap into totally different. If you, you there's lots of ways to get, to get around. Um, yeah. Well, it's the intellectual. Like Again, it's that middle stage. I know what I'm doing, which is like, this is the way we do things. You yes. Know? Yeah, exactly. Well, Peter, thank you so much. I have, I didn't get to everything, of course, but I feel like that's, that's only right so that hopefully you can come back again and we'll do this all over again. Yo, go follow Peter Hastings at Peter Hastings, H A 
S-T-I-N-G. It's a weird way to spell Peter. Um, no, that's how he spells last name. Uh, Peter Hastings on Instagram. He puts all his photography there. It's really gorgeous stuff. Um, you know, I found one of the people that introduced me to Peter was Jamie Drake, uh, the musician that was on the show recently, who you know I'm, I love. And you all really loved hearing her story. And I'm so glad that uh, Jamie helped connect us. She played... Uh, an amazing show I heard at his house uh, back in the day when you could see people and uh, he, he hosts a bunch of shows in his house and um, I heard they're magical. I hope to be at one someday. Thanks, Peter, for coming on the show. You're awesome. Thanks for sharing your creative wisdom. I hope that I get to talk with you more so that I can learn more from you because I feel like you have so, so many things to share with me and these people. So I hope there's part two. Thanks, Peter. You're awesome. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. If you've never listened to Y, why not? Uh, W-H-Y question mark. This is good stuff. Be warned, there is a lot of explicit language and, and imagery through, through Yoni's writing, but it is gorgeous poetry. It's like rap, indie stuff. It's really good. Um, one of my all-time favorite bands. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to... Jordan Aaron for our editing and thanks to Ryan Appleton for everything. Just all the stuff you do. You make this podcast possible through your help. Thanks to all of you for listening. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.